Welcome to the Annie Jennings Poker Podcast Series. We're broadcasting live today from the Borgata Casino in Atlantic City, where the World Poker Tour Borgata Winter Open is being played today. Again, my name is Annie Jennings. I am the host of the Poker Podcast Series. I have an outstanding, fantastic, you would not believe it guest today. You guys are going to fall in love with winning poker pro Tony Salerno. Tony Salerno, welcome. Thank you very much, Annie. We're happy to have you with us today. Now, one thing about Tony you need to know, so every, all you listeners out there better behave. He is a police captain in Monmouth County, New Jersey. Absolutely. Yeah. Wonderful. And he's been playing poker seriously for three years, although has dabbled in poker for about 20 years. And he's got a wonderful track record, very strong finishes in several events. In fact, he finished third in a Foxwood tournament event. He cashed in two of the last three WPT events here at this tournament at the Borgata. This week he came in 37th in event number two and 13th in event number eight. And last night, 7th in another event. And by the way, that event ended at 7 a.m. this morning. So he's bright-eyed and bushy-tailed right now. Life so. of a poker, <laughs> poker player. The life of a poker player. You are not kidding. You certainly play. Tell me, let me ask you a question about that. Why did they go to 7 a.m.? Well, the, the tournament started at 9 o'clock and 9 p.m. 9 p.m. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, and uh, the play was extremely tight. So uh, folks stuck around. Exactly. In fact, I'm noticing that as a strategy as I do interview the pros today. A lot of the pros are sharing with me that one of their strategies, their winning strategies, is to play extremely tight in the early stages in an attempt to get reads on players and identify players they most likely want to be involved in pots with. So that seems to drag out the timing. You get an opportunity at that point also to see who the uh, regular limpers are into a pot, meaning they just call the big blind. And you get an opportunity to see, uh, you know, who's playing a lot of pots and uh, who's aggressive, who defends their blinds and um, who seems like a solid player. Sure, you're starting to store up information that you plan to use later strategically. You you can't win a tournament in the early stages, but you certainly can lose it. You certainly can lose it, absolutely, that's for sure. And we don't want to be in that position of losing a tournament. So when you sit down to play a tournament that you know is going to take a lot of hours, in this case, this took almost 10 hours. Right. All right. Uh, what is your strategy in, in, uh, in playing winning poker for a tournament? Do you have certain strategies for, let's say, you know, the early stages, levels 1 through 3, 1 through 4, mid-levels, yeah. et cetera? A lot depends on the number of starting chips that you have and the, and the time that you have for each level. Example, in most of the events here at the Borgata, the levels are an hour long, and you get sufficient chips in order to, you know, to have enough play. What happens is the better players typically prefer to have a higher chip chip stack and uh, longer levels. The shorter... The shorter poker tournaments, such as your dailies or the, uh, Mm -hmm. like here they have the last chance tournament that I talked about that started at 9 o'clock last night. You know, the levels are 20 minutes to 30 minutes. And there you have to play a little bit quicker. You have to broaden your your starting requirements a little bit more uh, because the blinds and andies come around much, much quicker than they do in the longer, longer tournament. So uh, I think that has an awful lot to do with uh, your, your starting strategy. And you can, pl- you can sit back and during the early stages in those long tournaments 
and you can watch and you can wait and, and maybe even trap somebody. But uh, mm -hmm. in the shorter uh, tournaments, you have to play a little bit quicker and uh, setting up that tight image sometimes works against you. Really? Tell us how. Well, because uh, if you're too tight early, you don't accumulate enough chips to sustain uh, a uh, setback that you might have right. in the middle stages. And an example of that would be, say you're at $1 and $200 blinds, um, you, the person opens for 600 and your your next raise would be around 1800 or 2000 if it was a standard betting situation. Uh, if you start with 5000 in chips, you've already committed half of your half of your chips at that point. So unless mm -hmm. you've accumulated some chips by the time you get to that third level, uh, you really you really can only go in with premium hands, which, again, that also gives the other players an indication that you have a good hand if you haven't played many pots. Absolutely. You have to be always mindful of your chip stack in relation to the blinds, that's for sure, Right. in a tournament strategy. So I have a question for you. A lot of our pros today have been talking about relying on tells as a major part of their game. How do you feel about tells? Well, it's funny you should say that because there's a lot of our <laughs> poker pros are Internet players, and the only thing they can tell is uh, what's on television. Uh, uh, with with one or two minor uh, tells that you can tell by the way well they click. try to find the button to click the button to <laughs> click, <Dead> yeah. pot. <laughs> exactly right they don't they don't find it in live casino play <laughs> no and it's amazing they, they're not you're, you're very good at handling the chips either you could pretty much tell the young turks who play a lot of online poker when you sit down with them but um i think tells are overrated a little bit uh, i think that the uh, you get into so much of the mind game as you advance up with stronger competition that you know a tell that would be uh say for example if you were looking away from the table acted disinterested that's supposed to be uh, a tell that says you're very strong well poker pro might do that when they're weak just to give you that indication sure uh when they're on a bluff so i mean uh there's an awful lot about knowing the player and then associating that tell to them and mm -hmm. in these tournaments you're playing with you know hundreds of people that you haven't played with before so uh, I, I do believe that tells are a little bit overrated. So keeping it all straight is, is really important, too, because there's a lot of players, a lot of tells. How do you keep it all indexed, filed in your mind? Well, when you're playing <laughs> with a lot, of, a lot of new people, it's really difficult. You play with this, the same pros, you can pretty much tell when they're in character, out of character, uh, possibly on tilt. Uh, uh, but for the most part, uh, I, think, I think a lot of it... A lot of the tells for me, other than the standard Mike Caro book tells, which, like I said before, the higher the level, the less useful they'll be. Um, I think you have to you have to go with your instincts. And as a poker player, uh, you sit across from a lot of people over the years, and you can you get a feel. And if if you're attuned to the players, I mean. That's what I do for a living. I, uh, I read people, interview people as a police officer. Exactly. And uh, so it has a tremendous uh, carryover in the poker. And I found that my instincts have been sharpened through that profession and have come over into poker playing. And I really do uh, rely on my instincts a lot of times. And when I don't listen to them, it's generally when I get in trouble. See, I was just thinking that, too. As a police captain, you, you must have an, an, a, an amazing ability to read people and situations because your life depends on your ability to do so. Particularly since I, I'm the commander of the Detective Bureau where we handle a lot of in interviews and interrogations. 
Right. So, uh, so you uh, know when someone's bluffing <laughs> or lying. Yes. Well, people lie to me for a living. <laughs> um, in both in both professions. Oh, you're making me laugh. <laughs> I can it's, see that. Yes. <laughs> All right. So you're pretty good then, I'm sure, at, uh, well, at I, figuring out. I, I guess the folks sitting at the table have to be the one to decide that. To decide that. But based on your your uh, your your tournament winning profile here or history you're you're doing quite well for yourself i'm sure i've been very fortunate yes yes Yes. tony that's nice i think humbleness is important and i've seen it a lot in the pros but they feel very fortunate to be be uh, where they are today this is a this is a great industry and uh and you know as long as you conduct yourself in the right way and you don't uh you know get wild with your bankroll and uh, you have some money management going for you this is a, a wonderful way to live it's nice when you can do what you love for a living Oh, yeah, absolutely. And not many people get to do that. You know, question about money management, because a lot of our listeners are the entry-level, intermediate, some advanced players who really want to go from being good players to great players. Do you have any money management tips you can share to help these players be able to manage their bankroll so that they can someday be at a final table at a WPT event? Yes. Uh, well, the standard is 50 times the... Uh, the buy-in 50 Mm -hmm. times the buy-in for any cash game that you're in and the other standard is that you should probably not allocate more than five percent of your bankroll for any one tournament uh as a buy-in so um an example with that would be if you have a ten thousand dollar uh bankroll five hundred dollars would probably be the most that you would ever want to invest in a uh, poker tournament the the thing that I see most as far as money management with the beginners is that uh, poker tournaments are a lot of fun, but uh, they should make sure that they go into the smaller dailies first and work their way up to the larger ones because the highs and lows of tournament poker are extreme. So you need that backup of a bankroll to sustain you through those, especially if you're doing it for a living. If you're a casual player and you have uh, an income coming in, then it isn't quite as important. But I see a lot of folks enter uh, tournaments that are uh, very expensive, uh, given the fact that they have either a marginal or small bankroll. Uh, Those folks should try to dedicate themselves to the cash game, to try to build their bankroll, play limit poker, and then gradually work uh, work up to the higher limits. And there's an awful lot of good books out there. Uh, and I like to consider myself a student of the game. I think mm-hmm. I've read every book that there is out there, watched every video, and spoke to every professional pro I could get my hands on mm-hmm. for a few moments. And uh, I think that there's an awful lot of information out there about, uh, and good information, that the pros have shared, uh, which was not done 20 years ago when I used to play. No. I mean, the first, The first book I ever read 20 years ago was The Education of a Poker Player, and it just... Uh, was a book of stories about different poker games, not about the uh, the specific skills, abilities, and knowledge that you need and the strategy. So we're in a world now where information is king, and obviously with the podcasts and all the other information that are being shared out there for the poker lovers, um, yeah. I suggest reading the books, uh, watching the videos, and then playing within your bankroll within your financial means within your comfort zone comfort zone zone. Mm -hmm. if you play with scared money uh then you're gonna lose it's lost money yeah it's lost money Mm -hmm. and in tournaments especially 
um, the highs and the lows. I mean, you may you may win uh, one tournament out of thirty, or maybe not even win. Could cash three or four out of thirty, and you're still in the negative negative side. You have to really uh, be careful with the buy-ins and what you're capable of uh, spending. That's right. Absolutely. So in that regard, let's talk about some common mistakes other than mismanaging their bankroll that you're seeing at the internet at the tables. You, do you play internet poker, by the way? Yes. Uh, okay. Some. Some. Okay. So we'll focus right now on the common mistakes you see here live in the casino play with the young, maybe intermediate players the new players coming on the scene. Are they making some common mistakes that you're noticing? Yes. I, I think one of the, one of the, one of the big mistakes is uh, that they have too wide of starting requirements for their hands and that they don't, that the novice player doesn't really consider position. They look at the hand, they see two, two, uh, jacks. Uh, two jack, well, uh, you <laughs> I'm going to talk to you about jacks a in a second. King Jack. Uh, yeah, a King and they jack. see two uh, paint cards. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what position they're in, they look at that, they say, well, you know, if the flop comes 10, 4, 3, you know, uh, you know, maybe I'll hit my 10 and I'll have a t- uh, king kicker if they go in with king 10. Uh, meanwhile, you have the better players that are going in uh, with better hands right. and that are in position to make right. decisions. Exactly. Put the you other, to a tough decision at that point. That's right. And, yeah. and what you, you know, if you go in with a6 mm-hmm. and the flop comes ace uh, 10 4, uh, you don't know whether your kicker's any good if you go in with a6. In fact, you know, you're in big trouble. <laughs> I would think so. For the most part. Ace little. And the, uh, the other thing that you said about, uh, we talked about what the beginners uh, do. Besides not paying much attention to uh, position, they tend to be passive in terms of just limping in the pots. Right. Uh, it's, you know, it's no good to limp in to pots uh for the most part. For the most part, unless you have a specific, a, an absolute strategy absolute in mind. Absolute strategy for doing so. Absolutely. Because you're letting the blinds in cheaply, and say you have ace-king, and the flop comes king-five-four. Sure. Your blinds are in maybe even holding five-four offsuit. Mm-hmm, absolutely, because you have not isolated anyone, and that's one of the keys to playing, you know, winning poker. I always sure feel, is, and of course we've read this as well in many of the books, that if your hand's good enough to limp, it's good enough to raise. That's right. Otherwise, don't play it unless you have a real good reason to do so. You're in a strategic plan at that point. That's correct. And you'll find the top pros are very aggressive. They're selective in the hands they enter, which means that they're tight. And that they're very aggressive when they're in a pot. That's the best form of poker, which is the tight, aggressive player. The tight, aggressive player, if I could ask you, would you be willing to give us an example of a tight, selective, and aggressive player? And let's pretend they're in mid-position. Right. No. (laughs) So let's start with a tight, selective, aggressive, mid-position player. I'll just tell you that in mid-position, tight, aggressive, ace-10 offsuit is not a playable hand. Correct. That's only a more in that position. That would be more in late the position. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, either at the cutoff position or the button position. All right. So they would be playing probably, uh, they would play in the top five hands probably. And probably not the top five hands. that You, you can expand that middle position a little bit, uh, such as, you know, uh, king, queen, offsuit. Uh, 
I happen to hate Ace them. Jack. I happen to hate King Queen offsuit though. <laughs> I, I understand, but his middle Absolutely position it's scary. Uh, it's right. worth it's worth a raise. So it's worth a raise. Okay, terrific. And then what would happen if someone called your raise? Okay, from the button. Well, that would put you on notice. Uh, you know, if you if you subscribe to the gap theory, which means you need a better hand to call than you do to raise, uh, which I do subscribe to that. And the player on the button is an excellent player. I'd be very cautious of that person in better position than myself. Now, if it's a calling station type player, meaning a person that's in a lot of pots and does a lot of calling, uh, then I would not be so uh, fearful of that call. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I appreciate you sharing. A lot of people, hey, we hear the words tight, aggressive, selective, but we really like to see how what that really means at a real tight life means limited table. play, limited, limited hands to play in each position, expanding mm-hmm. it as you get in better position, closer to the button. And is and your aggressive ability, meaning mm-hmm. you come in for a raise, and uh, you do very little calling. You're always looking to raise or re-raise when you're in a pot. I think that's a really good strategy because you it, it gives you control of the pot more rather than just simply calling unless you're smooth calling to trap. Right. Right. You have more control and you seem to be the kind of guy who likes to have more control of the way the hand's going to play out and not just passively be drawn into a pot just hoping to see the next card out. Kind no, of I like to cheap. find out where I stand. And, like, mm-hmm. uh, you don't Important. find out where you stand when you call. You you found out nothing, really. You you received no information. Uh, You should make a decision there if you're going to raise or fold. Uh, There are times to call, but but, uh, limping is a whole different ballgame, and that's the type of calling that I don't recommend, especially when you're a new player. Keep in mind, Tony Salerno Salerno is a winning poker pro. He's a police captain in Monmouth, New Jersey, has over 20 years of poker playing experience and has really heated up uh, nicely and had some excellent showings over the last three years. Remember, he has placed third in a Foxwood tournament, cashed in two of the last three tournament events here at the WPT in the Borgata in Atlantic City. And, of course, last night, started playing at 9 p.m., played till 7 a.m. this morning, and actually came in in the money, right, in that tournament as well. Yes, I came in seventh, and uh, my day yesterday went much the same as many poker players, and no one likes bad beat stories. So I'm not even going to share this one with you, except I went in with jacks and the person who beat oh, me had sixes. That's my next question about the jacks. The dreaded, I want to ask you about your favorite hand. Of course I do. I want to, I just, I really want to get to that because you'd be surprised what some of the pros have told me about their favorite hands. It's not always pocket aces, but the dreaded jacks. Jacks have probably blown out more players than any other hand. Wouldn't you agree just based on what you've noticed? Well, the better players, I'd say jacks are, are, are the hand that's probably blown folks out the, the most. I think ace king and ace queen. Are, oh, ace are, queen! I don't, I don't like at all. Ace king and ace queen are what blows out many of the beginning and novice players. Uh-huh. They don't know how to get away from those two cards. They're unmade hands. Deuces beat them, and they stay with them <laughs> to the river. And I guess they they hit it enough that they think that it's okay to play that way. But the uh, right. jacks are jacks and tens. Very uh, tough, aren't very they? Very difficult hands to play, and they require. Uh, they require some uh, skill in reading your players. I believe that there's an awful lot more to poker than the cards. Obviously, if you're a poker player for a long time, you realize that. Uh, stack size, position, and betting patterns. So when you have jacks, it's going to require all those skills that you have in order to see how you want to proceed. 
I will say this, don't be passive with jacks or it'll come back to bite you every time. Exactly. Don't try to trap with jacks. <laughs> no, you're only trapping yourself. <laughs> you're not the trapper or you'll be the trappy. <laughs> exactly. Well, I want to thank Tony uh, Salerno for being with us today. It was really a delightful interview. Tony, thank you so much. I thank know, you, Annie. Yes, our listeners are very happy to hear what you have to share with us today. And I also want to extend a thank you to the Borgata Casino in Atlantic City for allowing our podcast to take place here today. As you know, they are the host of the WPT Tour, the Borgata Winter Open. More information, you can find out about their tournament schedule, lots of great things coming up at www.theborgata.com. Again, thanks, Tony, and we'll be back again next time. Thank you. Flop them big.